Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Good evening, church. Good to be with you again. How beautiful it is to hear those testimonies. You, you're a beautiful church, doing the Lord's work, raising up the next generation who are showing us the way and the way that they are following Jesus. So thank you guys for, for sharing. And glad to be together tonight as we continue thinking about the image, the image of God. Let me remind you, in case someone hasn't told you today, that God loves you. And that he loves you as you are, not as you ought to be. Because none of us in this church are as we ought to be. God loves you because he made you in his image. And he loves you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will remake you into his image. He is pleased with his children. And he is pleased with his children when they gather together to worship him. We have a father who looks down on us in this moment and smiles. Made in his image, remade in his image. And we've been thinking together about how this truth, the fact that we're made in the image of God, isn't just a truth that we need to know, something helpful, stick it on the shelf, pull it out when you need it, but rather is a category that we need to learn to think in. It needs to become a lens, the lens through which we view the world. And so yes, we said we need to see the image of God in the mirror, but we also need to see the image of God in our neighbor. We need to learn to approach every human being as they are made in the image of God. Now, after considering what that means, we're now in a section tonight and tomorrow night where we're going to think about how the image of God equips us to move out into the world and deal with some of the particularly challenging, thorny, difficult issues that we Face. And so we're going to start that tonight by thinking about how the image of God shapes our approach to the transgender community. I want to start with a light, easy question. <laughs> An issue that brings up all sorts of passions and emotions. If you're very upset with, I, what, with what I say tonight, my email address is raycortiz at sevenrivers.org. <laughs> Send me all your thoughts and feelings. I'll be glad to, I'll be glad to, glad to get to them. A difficult topic, yes, but the church, we don't duck difficult topics. That's not what what we do. We don't avoid the difficult questions. In fact, we believe, and this is especially important for our youth to hear, that the church is the place to come with your difficult questions. When you are confused by something, when there are things you don't understand, when there are things that you can't make head nor tail of, this is the place that you should bring your questions to. And what's true for our youth is true for us all. We don't shy away from, from, from these challenging questions. But we do have limited time tonight, so I want to just give you a few quick resources before we, we start. A few resources that you can look up after if you want to learn a little more. First, in this sermon, I'm going to draw extensively from a book called Transgender by Vaughn Roberts. It's a short read, about 100 pages. Uh, that'll probably be the first one that I would recommend to you. Some other sources as well, a book called The Secular Creed by Rebecca McLaughlin. Uh, she tackles some of the 
beliefs that are very popular in our day and age and examines them from a Christian perspective. Third, a book called Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. This is a slightly more academic, slightly thicker book. Good if you want to do a deep dive on this topic. And then last, a sermon called Jesus, Gender, and the Trans Community by a preacher called John Tyson. So check out these resources if you want to learn more. But now, let's go to the most important resource. Let's go together to God's word. We're gonna read again Genesis chapter one, starting in verse 26 through to the end of verse 28. Read these words with our topic in mind. And please, as you're able, stand in reverence for the word of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true and it's been given to us because he loves us. Father, we do pray that you would help us to understand your word tonight. Your word that is true, your word that is given out of love. Would you draw near to us by the power of your spirit and help us to understand it? Help us to understand the words of life that are found in its pages. Tonight, Lord, would you take us deeper into the gospel and help us order our lives around it? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So we know, don't we, that barely a day goes by uh, these days without there being some kind of transgender story in the news. And the story is nearly always accompanied by some form of outrage. Heated debates over education, heated debates over access to uh, restrooms or the military, heated debates over participation in sports. And as a group of Christians, we don't start with outrage. We start by remembering that every human soul is made in the image of God. Every human soul is made in the image of God. So when it comes to this issue of of transgenderism, it might be an issue that you are struggling with secretly and personally. Let me remind you that you are made in the image of God and you are loved by him. Perhaps someone in your family or a friend is struggling with this issue. Well, we remember that they are made in the image of God and they are loved by him. Perhaps some of us wrestle with frustration and anger with those who think differently to we do on this topic and we remember that they too are made in the image of God and they too are loved by him. And so would God fill us with a kind of um, grace and truth, compassion and conviction as we examine three areas together. I wanna consider first, the confusion that we see in our world. Second, the the clarity that we get in God's word. And then third, some of the consequences for our lives. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, let's go. The confusion of the world. What does it mean to be transgender? Well, here's a definition. Here's a definition that comes from Von Roberts. A person whose gender identity does not correspond to that person's biological sex. So the key idea in the transgender community is that there's a difference between sex and gender. 
Biological sex refers to the physical side, to anatomy and chromosomes, but gender identity refers to the psychological side, how someone feels inside. And so one transgender activist puts it this way, there's a gender in your brain and a gender in your body. For 99% of people, those things are in alignment. For transgender people, they're mismatched. Now, important for us to note that not all transgender people feel the same way. Some do feel that they were born into the wrong body. Some don't identify as either gender. Some identify as both or something else. And not all transgender people take the same actions. Some may want to change their pronouns. Some may want to pursue surgery. Some may take no outward action at all. How many people wrestle with this issue? Well, despite the attention that this topic gets in our world, the numbers are in fact, um, I'd I'd say incredibly small. Studies suggest about 0.01% of men and 0.005% of women have a diagnosable gender dysphoria. But there's no doubt that these numbers are on the rise, especially here in America, where some studies suggest there may be now up to about one million people who would identify as transgender adults. More and more people in our country believe that um, gender, their sense of being male or female, can be separated from their sex, their physical bodies. And to disagree with this approach will very quickly have you shamed as a bigot well, very quickly have you labeled intolerant. Listen to this. A Gallup fact sheet on transphobic hate described transphobia this way. Quote, intolerance of gender diversity based around the idea that there are only two sexes, male or female, which you stay in from birth. Did you catch that? If you believe that there are only two sexes, male or female, and that you're born into one of them, it's a boy or it's a girl. And if you believe that you need to live your life in accordance with the way you are born, you are now guilty of transphobic hate. You're guilty of of hating the trans community. Well, how has our culture reached this position? No doubt a longer answer than this sermon can provide, but it's an important question, isn't it? How did we get here? How, How is it that our culture has begun to believe the things that it does. We can't give a full answer, but here, here are a couple of things that, that help us understand. First of all, we know, don't we, that we live in a world that has rejected any kind of divine authority. Rejected divine authority. We don't live in a world that believes God rules and reigns and that God's ways are the ways that we should follow. The rejection of this divine authority goes all the way back, of course, to the enlightenment and the belief that you don't need God to lead us into truth. The belief started to emerge that human reason, our own intellect, progress of, of, of science would lead us into truth all by ourselves. And so we don't need God to show us the truth because we can figure that out by ourselves. But what happened, of course, was the rejection of divine authority led to the rejection of of something else. And that's the second thing that helps us understand how we got to where we are. Because after rejecting divine authority, uh, culture soon began to reject any kind of objective truth. 
Any kind of truth that is true all the time, that's absolutely true, that's true whether I believe it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether we agree on it or not, a standard of objective truth. You see, the belief that reason alone would lead us to truth just didn't really work. Science and reason did not lead us all to get along. In fact, we fell into world wars and nuclear bombs. And so this project decided, um, okay, maybe we need to give up on this idea of objective truth. It seems to cause too much difficulty. It seems to cause too much pain. And so what emerged was what's called postmodernism, this belief, let's not fight over what's true. I'll believe what's true for me. You believe what's true for you. Hence, we can all have what? My truth. I have my truth. You have your truth. Our truth can completely contradict, and yet they can somehow still both be true. Well, where does this leave us? With no divine authority and no objective truth, everyone is free to believe whatever they want to believe about their gender or anything else. About their gender. If it's my truth that I feel this way, then it is then true. And it doesn't matter if that is not how God has made me. And it doesn't matter if you don't think that's true. It's true to me, and therefore it is true. I can be born male, I can be born female, but I can live as something else. The confusion we see in our world. Well, into this confusion, the Bible speaks a very clear word. And this is going to be a pretty short point because the Bible's teaching is beautifully not that, not that complicated. Look down with me in Genesis 1, verse 27, the clarity of the word. So God created man in his own image. Remember we said last night that term can refer to humanity as a whole. In the image of God, he created him. And then what? Male and female, he created them. Jesus picks up himself on this teaching. This isn't just some you know, old-fashioned, Old Testament idea. Jesus himself picks up in this teaching in the Gospels and says, Matthew 19, verse 4, have you not read, doesn't it make you nervous when Jesus says that? <laughs> have you not read, ah, Jesus, probably not. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, we're sorry. Well, just in case you haven't read, Jesus says, here, here it is. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? According to the Bible, God made male and female, men and women, equal in value, the same in dignity and worth, a profound equality existing between them despite their differences. And he made you, the Bible would say, as one or the other. And something that's so beautiful and freeing is you don't have to worry about trying to figure it out. Adam and Eve knew whether they were male or female based on their biology. Of course, we should acknowledge there's a, a medical condition known as, as intersex. We don't really want to get too sidetracked by that issue, though, because it's actually um, irrelevant to the transgender discussion. The transgender discussion isn't that there's confusion over whether someone's male or female. The transgender statement is that you can, no matter what you are biologically, you can choose to be whatever you want, you want to be. So it's really a separate issue. We would say, for tonight's purposes, God made us in bodies, and Christianity 
You know, you know Christianity has a really high view of the body. We think the body matters. Like when you think, what are you? You know you're, you and I, we're not really just souls who are somehow trapped in these bodies. It's not like the essence of you or the best part of you is actually some sort of spiritual, mystical thing. And this, this body is just kind of burdens us and weighs us down. No, according to the Bible, we, we, are, um, we are enfleshed souls. There's a psychosomatic unity. Again, always trust a theologian to make things more complicated than they need to be. Psychosomatic means a mind and a body unity. What, what are we? We are souls that live in bodies. God made us thus that way. And do you know God is going to remake us that way? What is heaven like? Do not picture the clouds, dear ones. It is not an angel and a harp and lots of floating around. It's a new heaven and a new earth where we're going to walk around in perfected physical bodies. And so we have a high view of, of the body. This is why Nancy Piercy called her book, Love Thy Body. Your body is part of what makes you, you. And as we encourage people to love their curls or their curves or the color of their skin, we should, people, we should teach people to love the gender that they've been made in. If you're a man, celebrate that God made you as a man. And if you're a woman, celebrate that God made you as a woman. Celebrate either way. He has made us both with great value and with great dignity. Von Roberts puts it this way. Each person's biologically determined sex is a good gift of God's creation. We should accept it and we should live within it. It's freeing to know. Isn't it freeing to know in a confused world? We don't have to spend any time trying to figure out what gender we are. We can just celebrate the one that God made us to be. Okay, the clarity of the word. God made you male uh, or female, and either one is very good. But let's get into the weeds. Let's get into the difficulties by considering some of the pastoral implications of this teaching, some of the consequences for our lives. I want to do this by taking the principles we've been discussing, which are still kind of up, up here, and applying them to some of the nitty-gritty questions that we actually have to wrestle with and we actually have to face. And I'm going to try and do that by starting most personally and then moving out in concentric circles from there. So follow along with, uh, with these questions. Let's start by the asking the question, uh, the personal question, what should you do if you question your own gender? What should you do if you question your own gender. And church, can I just encourage you to give this question a little space to breathe? Because our culture, and especially our young people, are being influenced by the world that we live in and may have questions such as these. And they need to know that they can come here with that question. They need to know that they can come here with that doubt. So let's, let's talk about it. What, do you, what should you do if you question your own gender? I want to speak to young people and then to adults. Uh, first of all, to young people, can I just say, um, I want you to know that it's very normal to have questions about your gender. It's very normal by that I mean as we grow up to wonder about what it means to be a boy and what it means to be a girl. 
And that's especially true if, if you don't fit the cultural stereotypes of being like a manly man or a, a girly girl. But here's one of the great things about the Bible. I love this about the Bible. The Bible is very clear that God made you as a man or as a woman, but it is not full of rules about what it means to be a man or a woman. The cultural stereotypes don't come from the Bible. So the Bible turns out both to be narrower and broader than our culture. Narrower in the sense that it says, no, you are male or female and you can't change that. Broader though than our culture in saying, you can be any kind of man or woman that you want to be. You can be any kind of man or woman that you want to be. You might be a thoughtful, gentle, artistic man, or you might be a strong, driven, sporty woman. Either is great as far as the Bible is concerned. Nancy Piercy says, the entire range of human personality traits is open to both sexes. Don't allow cultural stereotypes to confuse you into thinking that you struggle with this issue. Don't worry about whether you're a man or a woman. Instead, question what kind of man or woman do you want to be? Because the cultural stereotypes, they're changing all the time. Here's my favorite example. What do you think of if I, if I, if I describe someone with long hair and a skirt? I think of Braveheart. Is it a feminine picture? Is it a masculine picture? Well, it depends. It depends what in, comes into your mind. Depends what time you live in history. Depends what cultural stereotypes uh, of the day happen to be. And the Bible says, don't worry about fitting in with cultural stereotypes. Don't let the fact, young ones, that transgender issues come up all the time confuse you into thinking that you might be transgender, but just because you have questions about these things. So don't worry about whether you're a man or a woman. Instead, think about what kind of man, what kind of woman do you want to be? Adults, what should we do perhaps if we are struggling with these questions? Well, Sam Albury sums up the Bible's advice very succinctly this way. He says, quote, our culture says your psychology is your sexual identity, so let your body be conformed to it. Tracking with that? He's saying, in the world, the world says how you feel is what determines your gender. So you should conform your body to match how you, how you feel. The Bible says your body is your sexual identity. Let your mind be conformed to it. Let your mind be conformed to it. Nancy Piercy writes that in our culture, uh, when a person senses a, a disconnect or a dissonance between the body and the mind, for some reason it's always the mind that wins and the body is dismissed as irrelevant. But why should that be the case? Why should, isn't it crazy? Why would we think that you should change the body instead of trying to change the mind? If there's a disconnect between the two, if there's a tension, if there's a dissonance, if your body and mind aren't on the same page, don't assume you need to change your body. Maybe you need to seek the spirit to change your mind. Don't base your gender identity, something as significant as your gender identity, on subjective feelings that can change. Instead, base it on the way you've been designed. It's a much surer foundation for your life. Freedom would be found not in escaping from our bodies, but in embracing the bodies that God gave us. Okay, parents, how should we talk to our kids about transgender issues? If we've thought about what it means for us, let's think about what it means for our kids. My first encouragement is this. Remember, our kids already more, know more about this issue than we think they do. 
How much do you think your child knows about this issue? Double it, and that's probably a realistic starting point. Um, our, our, our kids are, are, are typically ahead of us in these issues and also have to typically, generally, deal with these issues more than we do. They, they, they have, have peers, they have friends, they have friends of friends, they hear stories in, in school, they are confronted with this issue much more than many of, of us are. Summers McMurray, who's the director of marriage ministry at my church, wrote this. She said, culture is bombarding our kids with millions of messages, pushing an agenda straight from the sexual revolution. The consent is the standard for sexuality. That healthy sexuality means experimenting with different identities. That a person's biological sex can be different from their self-perceived gender. And both can be different from the person's gender expression. Our kids are interacting with these questions all the time. Online, in social media, in their schools, with their friends. So parents, hear me on this. If you don't disciple your kids, someone else will. If you don't disciple your kids, someone, someone else will. And I want to tenderly and lovingly, and because I'm a guest preacher, I can say what I want, <laughs> encourage you that that is your job. It's not the church's job. And it's not the school's job. The, the Lord has given that responsibility to you. Now, of course, any sensible parent is going to do that by involving their children in the church. <laughs> and involving the children perhaps in, in the school. But you don't, we, we, we don't abdicate that responsibility to these other groups. We, we take that responsibility upon ourselves. That I'm, I'm responsible for, I'm a pastor of that wee family before I'm a pastor of any church. And you're the pastor of your home um, before, before anyone else's. If you don't disciple them, someone else will. Summers McMurray continues, it is impossible and I would argue unwise to completely shield our kids from culture. Instead, we need to roll up our sleeves and engage with our kids proactively. And I say, amen to that. Listen to your kids. Ask them questions. Before you say anything, ask them another one. If they say something you think sounds stupid, ask another question. Keep asking questions. Find out what's going on in their hearts and in their minds. Ask them what their thoughts are before we, we ever respond. Speak to them, of course, in time. Tell them about the better story we have to tell, about the God of the Bible who loves them and has a plan for them as well. They need you. And while there's nothing like parenting, oh man, is there anything like parenting to make you feel good? Guilty and a failure. <laughs> it's like 20 years of lurching from mistake into error. <laughs> that may feel true, but God has given these kids to you. And you do have what it takes to disciple them. You do. Lean in, step in. Okay, after ourselves and our kids, let's expand the circle a little to family and friends. Uh, what should you say to friends or family who are transgender? Can I divide this into two sub-bullets first, if they're a believer or if they're not 
a believer. Uh, let's start if they're, if they're not a believer. What should you do for friends and families who don't know the Lord and tell you they're transgender? Here's what you should do. Look for opportunities to share the love of Christ. Let's be a people who keep first things first. A people who keep first things first. Christians, remember, we are not in the business of behavior modification. Our goal is not for people just to be more respectable as they march their way to hell. That's not what it's about. We have a God who loves us and sent his son to save us. And our hope for anyone who's outside of Christ is that they might come to know gospel grace, that they might come to know the one who saves them. And then, and only then, and only downstream from him, might we see some life change. And so, we stay in relationship. We look for opportunities to share the gospel. We pray that one day we'll get to see them come to faith in Jesus. And maybe downstream from that, we'll see some life change as well. Um, Jesus was with the tax collectors. Jesus really loves sinners and he better for our sake. And so we go out and we do the same. What do we do? We love those in Jesus' name. How do you have a conversation with a, a believer, a friend or family who's a believer who says they're transgender? Well, I think here we have some leeway to have some, some hard conversations in the context of relationship with them. Von Roberts writes this, quote, the modern idea is that we have to affirm the feelings we have and that we can only be authentic as we fulfill our desires. But the Bible teaches that some of our desires should be resisted. Some of our desire, desires should be resisted. We are called to measure our desires and feelings against the will of God. What's he saying? He's saying the gospel calls all of us to take up our cross, deny ourselves and follow him. And so to the extent that we ourselves are doing that, we can also plead with our transgender friends. We don't have to doubt their experience. We don't have to tell them they're not feeling what they're feeling. We don't have to say they don't have those desires. What we do say is that all Christians, all of us in different ways, need to submit our desires to him. And for a believer who is struggling with this, this issue, that is, that is certainly, certainly the case, certainly the truth. Von Roberts concludes, those who experience gender dysphoria should resist feelings that encourage them to see themselves as anything other than the sex of their birth. The challenge of doing so will be great, so our love for them must be greater still. Okay, a couple more, couple more circles here. What about acquaintances and colleagues? Um, transgender acquaintances, that person in the office, um, that, that neighbor you know down the street. What should you do when it comes to this issue of pronouns? Okay, time out. You know the difference between thus saith the Lord and thus thinketh the James. Okay. This is one of those moments. I don't know, but I'm going to tell you what I think. I'm going to tell, I'm, I'm going to tell, you, tell you what, what I think. Ray Cortez at sevenrivers.org. Um, <laughs> what should we do about pronouns? Well, different opinions on this, but for me, here's what I think. It's going to be hard to stay in relationship with someone if you don't call them whatever they want to be called. That's my take. So I want to play the long game. That's my goal here. I want to play a long game 
where I have opportunities over time to enter into real relationship, have deeper conversations, share the love of Jesus, and see what he will do in time. If we do that, if we give relationships opportunities to flourish, then in time we might have gospel opportunities. That's my take on pronouns. Okay, closing in, two more. Church, how should we welcome transgender people? Um, someone who shows up in one of our services. What's the answer? Of course, it's grace and truth. It's compassion and conviction. It's unflinchingly sharing biblical truth, but doing so as a community of love. We need to recognize that one of the reasons that we see such an increase in LGBTQ identification, and isn't it interesting how as these issues are talked about more, suddenly more and more people identify this way? And you think this can't be coincidence. Sure. Listen, of course, nothing new under the sun. Okay? These issues have been around for as long as humanity has existed. But isn't it interesting that as it becomes a cultural movement, suddenly more and more people are, are starting to identify that way? Why might that be? Well, part of it I want to suggest is that people long for an identity and people long for community. And the LGBTQ community does a great job of providing both. A great job of providing both. Giving people a sense of who they are and celebrating them, affirming them, and loving them for who they are. And I just wonder if people aren't searching for something that they should be finding in the church. A sense of who they are and a community of love. That sound, doesn't, shouldn't, doesn't that sound like us? Isn't that who, who, we, who we can be and, and are we that kind of, of church? Do we love people better than the LGBTQ community? Here's a question to chew on. Are we a place of welcome for those who are hurting, confused, and hopeless? Do we walk through, uh, do people walk through our doors and feel that they're, they're valued and loved? Are we the place someone with temptation could come for long-term support. What an opportunity we have to be the church at its best. Okay, last question. Christians in our culture, um, how should we engage with the larger culture? Oh, wow, this would be three sermons in and of itself. How do we deal with all these questions surrounding education and restrooms and military and sports? I think, again, we could say something similar. Grace and truth uh, with conviction, with compassion, unflinchingly sharing the biblical truth, but doing so as a community of love. I do think Christians need to be bold and perhaps increasingly so to speak gentle, strong words of truth in our own circles of influence. I do think we need to support Christians who engage biblically with these issues on a larger policy level. Let me repeat that. Who engage biblically with these issues on a larger policy level. Not those who see this as an issue to throw, like red meat to throw out to their their block. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Christians who are seeking to be a salt and light in this world and trying to wrestle with the policy implications of questions like this. We need to be fearless about the fact, friends, God's plan is best for us. And we need to be equally ferocious about the fact that those who disagree with us are made in the image of God. The Bible says, let all that you do be done in love. 
the confusion, the clarity, the consequences. Made in the image of God, let all that you do be done in love. Father, we thank you for this time together and we praise you that you are not just the savior, but the friend of sinners. Were it not so, none of us would be in this church. And Lord, we want to be made um, not just in your image, but more and more in the image of your son. We want to live and love like he does in this world. So would you make us a people who combine conviction and compassion, who have some steel in our spines and some strength in our, our gut to, to look the world in the eye and not get caught up in all the confusion, holding fast to your word as you have called us to, but who also move out from that place to be a winsome presence, to be a disarming presence, to be a community of grace who loves this world in Jesus' name. We pray it all. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.